Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Regarding ID podcast. I'm Gina Jordan. Where do we stand on the digital divide? It's the space between those who have the internet within easy reach and those who don't, shrinking. The governments and others are increasingly moving services online, even though many people don't have the resources to get online. Phil Casey, a senior research analyst for ABI Research, says the gulf between the haves and the have-nots involves more than just the internet. Maybe more so than that, you, you might be looking at specific services as well, so maybe uh, access to digital banking services, for example, or to make payments or, or for digital banking facilities. Um, so I don't think it's just limited to those that are unable to access the internet per se, but there's, there's a whole lot of other services off the back of that which could create a digital divide as well. Identity side of things that plays a key role in whether you would potentially be divided from digital services or, or you had access to them. You know, if you can ascertain or, or be certain of someone's identity to a certain level, then you can start offering other services as well on top of that. And, and you see this across the world where um, maybe there's some countries that are put, putting programs in place. Uh, I'll mention the ADAR project in India as a good example, uh, whereby perhaps historically they haven't had a good idea of, uh, of the population to start with, but also they haven't had anything solid in place or, or accurate enough to ascertain someone's identity. Now, moving forward, they have the ADAR project in place whereby they take a number of personal details from each citizen and, and they also enroll them by uh, capturing their biometrics or, or fingerprints. And then from here, you can start offering other services. So in, in exchange for this information, the citizen is presented with a 12-digit unique identity number. And then that allows them to go and uh, maybe open a bank account, for example, which previously they couldn't do because perhaps the bank couldn't quite ascertain whether you know the identity or the person they claimed they were was in fact that person or not. That hard project has the government of India striving to give everyone living in the country a unique number for their ID cards and official documents. It's giving them an identity that enables them to do everything from open bank accounts to get insurance to apply for pensions. So far, enrollment is not required. The residents were told that someday it may be the only way for them to obtain necessary services. An estimated 800 million Adhar identity numbers have been issued. While digital registration for government services is growing, Seely says it comes in different forms. You know, no two countries will have the same sort of uh, criteria or the, or the same kind of processes. I mean, obviously, in terms of accessing e-government services online, this could be to pay your taxes, for example. This is pretty widespread, and it's mainly driven to reduce costs. You know, you're replacing the physical presence, uh, including workers in offices, with a digital identity. It does create efficiencies and convenience. It also provides 24-7 access. You know, people can't always get out of work or find time to get down to their local government office for a particular meeting and, and move that online. But that was a, a better level of convenience and, and enables citizens to do certain aspects in their own time. It also allows them to streamline paperwork and digitize those. Uh, and it does improve government citizen communication. That's another aspect, which is why we see a, a move to you know, services being moved online. What do states and countries ensure that people have easy access to these services and can enroll in identity? Neely says for the foreseeable future, governments will have to provide less technical options. Even in established economies or nations or, or those with great connectivity, you're always going to need a physical presence for you know, a certain percentage of the population that perhaps doesn't go online or chooses not to go online, for example, or perhaps just doesn't have access to the technology 
just due to they don't know how to use the technology or, or perhaps have never had a device that enables them to do so. But large in part, as we see the younger generation and, and more tech-savvy uh, citizens increasing, this is a move that we that we do see. Uh, you, in, in terms of accessing the government services, it's more about increasing the number of ways you can access government services at the minute. It's not about replacing one with the other as such. Um, of course, you can make certain cost-cutting measures and maybe close a certain proportion of offices or physical presences, but at this time, we don't see you know, the digitization of services being completely, well, being used as a strategy to overtake that of a physical presence. Uh, rather, it's a way of improving access and, and improving the number of methods at which you can access a service. Enrollment in digital services tends to involve knowledge-based questions called from financial and public records. That's an issue for those who don't even have something like a bank account. You know, some countries already have national ID cards or mandatory national ID cards in place, and, and that forms a good way of enrolling somebody. Uh, for those that perhaps do not, the UK would be one of those. Your identity or your profile is built up over a number of years. You may be looking at birth certificates, credit agreements, um, and, and anything historical that you've done under your identity in the past, and then you can build up a profile of that person. Uh, in terms of maybe countries where they're a little more unsure of their actual population, perhaps haven't had a good census in place, then you start looking at en enrollment. But I'll go back to the project in India again, whereby, you know, enrolling people in major cities in the country is relatively easy, but there's a lot of you know, rural areas that, unfortunately, is, is, is very hard to get into. And in, in this respect, they'll actually send workers out maybe with portable capturing devices so in order to enroll these people into this particular program. Thanks to different forms of access to information and communication technologies, some would say the digital divide isn't so large. Governments just need to do a better job of getting the word out about what's available. There is a degree of education there, I think. And I think the, the digital divide may always be there to a degree. I think it's certainly closing. And I think moving forward, we will see the gap continue to close, particularly as more services are moved online, as internet connectivity gets better, as people's education and, and approach to technology improves. So I, I think we're moving into an era where that gap is certainly closing, and there's a number of ways you can deliver these services, and you can look at each region and decide on the best measure of doing that. Uh, you may look at uh, Africa, for example, where maybe the mobile penetration is a lot higher than the banking penetration, and, and there you would try and leverage maybe the, the mobile platform in order to deliver these services, uh, just as an example. So, yes, the gap is there. I think it is closing, and, and I think we'll see that close over, over the next few years, even more so. Is an API research senior analyst based in the UK as part of the digital security research practice. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Regarding ID podcast.